you are in the Hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports in the Hoodwood for November 23rd, 2022. Coming up in this short stack edition, we're going to try a few other different things this week. We're going to look at the World Cup. Already started? Are there upsets in the making? And have they already happened? Week 11, Thanksgiving Day games, and the first five on Sunday. Have Fat Dap, Head Slap, a new Woodwood High Five, different from the College Bowl, but one that you'll want to see nonetheless. And of course, another final word from Wood. All that is going to be fast and furious. Maybe it's called a short stack edition. But nevertheless, it's Sports of the Hoodwood coming at you. Let's go! shortened version of Hoodwood. I'm your man KJ Green welcoming you back to another fast-paced fact field edition of Sports from the Hoodwood and let's start out with the World Cup. I posted on the Sports from the Hoodwood Twitter feed that one-eighth of the world, there's eight billion people in the world now, one-eighth, that means over a billion people will be watching some or all of the 2024 World Cup, which is going on in Qatar. Now, a year ago, six months ago, six weeks ago, six days, seven days ago, if someone had told you, point out Qatar and win a billion dollars, would you have been able to do it? I don't think I would have been. The only thing I know about Qatar is it's over somewhere in the Middle East. And they're playing the World Cup in middle of November, early December, the World Cup final will be a week before Christmas, but they're playing there at the coolest time of the year in Qatar. Does anybody know where this country is? Does anybody know who they pay to get the World Cup? There's been a lot of shady dealings and shading going on in this Middle Eastern country, which is famously and fabulously rich. That being said, the best 32 teams in the world are converging on Qatar for the 2024 World Cup. One team that is missing is Italy. Italy? Hello? <laughs> they didn't make the World Cup, but the U.S. did. And they're in a pretty tough group with Wales, England, and Iran. And after a one-all draw with Wales, a game they should have won, now they're facing England on Friday. Can they get through to the knockout stage? Who knows? They're not going to be England. That's almost a foregone conclusion. So it's going to come down to the game against Iran, a team that you know is going to be gassed up to beat the U.S. to keep them out of the, of the field of 16. Now, half the, the, the draw will be eliminated after this weekend, this coming weekend. But you, you have your usual cast of suspects, Germany, Mexico, Argentina, a team in trouble after losing to Saudi Arabia. Most of the games are going to be played within the next three to four days. Pool play will go on probably till the end of the weekend. Then you'll have the knockout stages, which will start up in earnest within the next week. 
Games will be fast and furious, and the games will be televised everywhere. There's a lot of networks that are hold that have a piece of the World Cup, but the times of the games, my goodness, you're talking about playing games for the U.S. If you're gonna watch a game, that's gonna be late night, late night watching for U.S. Even though their game against England on Friday the 25th will be a three o'clock kickoff. Eastern time, which would be almost 11 o'clock, uh, I guess it's Qatarian time. I don't know. It, but the, the time difference is basically eight hours. And everybody is still trying to figure out still how did Qatar get the World Cup. But that's neither here nor there. Who do I think is going to be the favorite? You know, you got, like I said, you got your usual suspects. Mexico, Germany, France always has a good team. Argentina a team that I thought might have been a sleeper pick to get deep, already taking that loss, as I mentioned before. Brazil, another team that is still trying to get that stench of that World Cup from eight years ago off of their off their back when they lost brutally in the semifinals to Germany, where they where they where the Germans scored goal after goal after goal and humiliating them on their own turf. Now, of course, Qatar, being the host country, has a berth in the in the World Cup as well. They won't last. They won't last a half a second through the group stage. Their thing is they just want to look good and not get their backs blown out. What teams do you think? What team do you want to win? Me, of course, I'm rooting for the U.S. I just want them to get to the knockout stage. Get to the knockout stage. Maybe get an upset in the in the uh, field of 16. But they're realistically not going to win the World Cup. They will be lucky if they get into the uh, group of 16, considering that the group that they are in. Now, I'm looking over some of the uh, the groups. There isn't a necessarily a group of death. They stopped using that term a while ago. But still, there are some tough groups in the uh, uh, divisions and groups in the World Cup. I'm looking at a group like Group G, where you see Brazil. They should be able to dominate that group. And then you're looking at Group C, again, there's that Argentinian club again, but they've already had trouble with Saudi Arabia, and they will have trouble with Poland and Mexico. They might not get out of the, out of the group stage. Hmm. But as, as a courtesy and a service to the people who do like soccer, we'll keep an eye on the World Cup and do some weekly reporting on it as the, as the stages go along. Take a quick time out. Come back with week 12, first half of the picks. Breaking them up this time. Eight picks this week, this uh, show, and then the other eight we'll do here in a couple of days. Sports Bluebook comes back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com.
you're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion in the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. My name is KJ Green, and this is a shortened version of Sports from the Hoodwood. And for some reason, Snuffy is obsessed with, with short things. Now he wants to date with Strawberry Shortcake. Is this shit a little old for you? <sighs> Trying to figure out this dog. It'll be the death of me. Let's figure out the NFL Week 12 picks instead, shall we? We had another solid week. 10-4. Uh, and there, the, the losses, again, one of those did make any sense. If you said that you thought the Giants were going to lose to the Lions. No, you didn't. Stop lying. You know you know better. The odds are provided by ESPN for comparison entertainment purposes only. If you bet the lines and lose the Christmas shopping money, that's on you. Don't call me because I have no money to spare you. Let's start out with the Thanksgiving Day games. The first game on the docket is 7-3 Bills taking on the 4-6 Lions at Ford Field in Detroit. 12-3 kickoff on CBS. The Bills are 9.5 point favorites. Last week, the Bills defeated the Browns 31-23, while the Lions defeated the Giants 31-18. Now, the Lions return home after a surprising route of the Giants in Gotham to their usual early Thanksgiving Day game to find the Bills waiting for them, all lounged out like they've been there all the time. Well, they actually have been. They've been there for a week, having played last week's game in Detroit because Buffalo is still digging out from a six-foot blizzard. Well... They actually, you know, they've been using their crib like an Airbnb, if you really want to be honest, to knock off the Browns. Now, the Lions found their offensive mojo again, which has been lost for some time. And their sieve-like defense tightened up considerably in their latest win. Now, the Bills rebounded from a heartbreaking loss against the Vikings to outslug the Browns. The Lions seemingly play tough on Turkey Day all the time, but I have a feeling that the Bills will be are bouncing back nicely after their early November low. The pick here is Buffalo. Continuing on the Thanksgiving Day docket, we have 7-3 Giants taking on the 7-3 Cowboys at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. 4-30 kickoff on Fox. The Cowboys are nine-point favorites. Last week, the Giants lost to the Lions 31-18, while the Cowboys defeated the Vikings 40-3. The G-Men coming into this matchup after a puzzling loss to the Lions in which their offense got absolutely nothing done. And that's not a good vibe coming into this game, which the Pokes are really feeling themselves after a spectacular thrashing of the Vikings on national TV. And Tony Pollard has emerged as a dependable home run back to keep pressure off of Dak Prescott. Meanwhile, the shifting of Michael Parsons Two defensive end is looking like it's going to cause real problems for offenses going forward. G-Men are a nice story, but here's where it gets real, boys and girls. Teams like the Pokes are they're gunning for a healthy amount of respect, and they're going to get it from the Giants. Believe that. And then playing at home on Turkey Dell always bodes well for them. The pick is Dallas. Third on Thanksgiving docket, we have the 6-4 Patriots taking on the 8-2 Vikings. Almost said 7-3, they're 8-2. The game we played at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. 8-20 kickoff on NBC. The Vikings are three-point favorites. Last week, the Patriots defeated the Jets 10-3, while the Vikings were defeated by the Cowboys 40-3. Now, the Pats needed a stunning late punt return touchdown to break a defensive deadlock and beat the Jets again. While the Vikings would just as soon forget last week ever happened. The Patriots offense is not real reliable these days. And if the Vikings give Kirk Cousins 
time to throw and Dalvin Cook holds the run in, they're as dangerous as any team in the league. That said, the Pats offense doesn't have a Tony Pollard to bully the Vikings, and their defense doesn't have Michael Parsons to chase Cousins around. So I think the Vikings will grind out a close but needed win. The pick here is Minnesota. Start with the Sunday early games. This is a Fox doubleheader weekend. First game on the docket is 5-5 five five Buccaneers taking on the 3-7 and seven Browns at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Buccaneers are three-point favorites. Last week, the Buccaneers were on their bye, while the Browns lost to the Bills 31-23. Bucks need to be rightfully wary of their opponent. The Browns aren't fearsome, yet they are far from a pushover, as Buffalo can readily attest, as they were pushed hard at their game in Detroit. The Bucks are a deeply flawed offensive team. They, as the fast facts have shown you, they have only have not scored more than 21 points in any of their wins. Now, despite the ageless Tom Brady still piling as usual at quarterback, playing like a young Thundercat, the Browns' defense can cause havoc here and there and, and, and score more in their loss last week than the Bucs have scored in any win. Go figure that out. But I can't trust the Browns. Can't trust them at all. I can't trust them to put together a consistent game to pull out the win. So the pick is Tampa Bay. Next on the docket, we have the 6-4 Bengals taking on the 7-3 Titans at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Bengals are a 1.5-point favorite. Last week, the Bengals defeated the Steelers 37-30, while the Titans defeated the Packers 27-17. Both teams coming off of impressive road wins in very hostile venues. Joe Burrow was showing the kind of swashbuckling grit that has endeared him to the Bengals' faithful. And he's facing a team that sacked him nine times in the divisional round last year. And that's going to sure be sure to test his resolve and mettle. Now, Titans fans knock Ryan Tannehill for all his flaws and all his foibles. But given the frightening alternative, you know what? They're going to keep the mumbles and grumbles to themselves. Now, Derrick Henry is a beast, period. And the Bengals will have their hands full trying to slow him down much less trying to stop him. Now, the Bengals are surprising road favorite, which makes no sense to me. Something strikes this as me being all wrong. The Bengals have yet to patch together a three-game winning streak. They've won two, and after winning two, they've lost one. I cannot see them cobbling together a three-game winning streak. I see that pattern continuing as a continuation of a frustrating season. The picker is Tennessee. That's the Hoodwood upset of the week. Continuing on in the docket, we have the 3-8 Bears at the 6-4 Jets game being played at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. It's 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Jets are six-point favorites. Last week, the Bears lost to the Falcons 27-24, while the Jets lost to the Patriots 10-3. Both teams are coming off road losses in winnable games. Half of the Jets' four losses have been to their nemesis, the Pats. <laughs> so it's tough to gauge that the Jets are just fear the Pats. Or the Pats just have their number. In any case, the Jets are still trying to figure out their quarterback situation as Robert Saleh has not really committed to Zach Wilson as their starting quarterback coming up. Now, the Bears have no question of who their quarterback is. Justin Fields has been playing lights out. And even though in a loss, he was stand-up enough guy to apologize to his defense for not playing hard enough. Do you not like a quarterback like that? As much as I smell an upset brewing here, 
I can't trust the Bears. Let's be real. Somehow, some way, the Jets find out a way to beat their lesser opponents. The pick here is the New York Jets. Next on the docket, we have the 1-8-1 Texans taking on the 6-2 Dolphins. That game is being played at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. It's 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Dolphins are 12-point favorites. Last week, the Texans lost to the Commanders 23-10 while the Dolphins were on their bye. Now, something about the Dolphins is just exciting and kind of frightening at the same time. Tua Tagovailoa has been throwing the ball around like a beast. And the Texans have been spiraling out of control in this downward spiral pretty much all year. Give a hot quarterback against a beleaguered defense. <laughs> this game has ugly written all over it. Also, a lot written all over it. Miami is the Hoodwood Lock of the Week. Finally, on the early docket, we have the 5 and 6 Falcons at the 6 and 5 Commanders. Game being played at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Commanders are 3.5 point favorites. Last week, the Falcons defeated the Bears 27 24, while the Commanders defeated the Texans 23 10. Now, the Falcons stay just on the fringes of the playoff race. Now, playing in the nobly weak NFC South help doesn't hurt, the, uh, hurt their cause one bit. They head to the nation's capital to take on a surging commander's team that didn't suffer a letdown after their uh, emotional win in Philly. Now, the Falcons play a little too inconsistent for me to trust them beyond playing beautiful opponents like the Bears and other weak teams at home. Now, while commanders are not lockworthy, they play crisply under Taylor Heineke and are getting enough respect to have a favorable look from this scribe. The pick here is Washington. There you have the first half of the picks. We'll have the second half of the picks in a future show, probably in a couple of days. But we'll take a timeout from here. Come back with the Woodwood Hot Five, Fat Dab Hits Up, and the final word of the wood. Final word of the wood? No. The final word from the wood. Get it right, KJ. I will try my best. Sports from the Hoodwood heads down the home stretch after this. Today, your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. Short line? Really? 
Somebody get the pen away from the dog, please. Let's look at the Hoodwood Hot Five. And besides, I like property. I like real properties. Green and orange. Those are the most frequently landed on. But that's neither here nor there. Let's look at the Hoodwood Hot Five. And instead of the Hoodwood Hot Five poll, which will be on the next show, we will look at the NFL, the top five teams, or I shouldn't say top five teams, five questions that need to be asked after 10 weeks of play in the NFL. Our number one question, are the Eagles at 9-1 and one for real or are they a mirage? Now, they sailed through their first eight games with no problem. Then they got beat up and beat down by the Commanders in front of a sullen crowd in Philly before going to Indianapolis and struggling mightily with the Colts on the road, eking out a one-point win. Now, the Eagles are 9-1 and one and have the inside track for the, the uh, lone buy in the NFC. But are they a real team? Are they a mirage? Is Jalen Hurts really the futuristic quarterback that the franchise needs him to be? Sure, the, the uh, Eagles have great uh, running. They Miles Sanders. They also have great receivers in A.J. Brown. In, in uh can't remember the dude's name, Devontae Smith. Went right out of my head. But as forgettable as some things are about the Eagles, people look at their schedule and go, hmm, nine and one, is that a mirage? I don't think it is. I think the Eagles are a legitimate team. Now, are they gonna take a couple more dumb losses? I'm pretty sure that they will. The Eagles always manage to find one or two games that they have no business losing and end up losing. But I still think 14 wins is a realistic goal for the team in green and white. Our second question, the Hoodwood High Five, are the commanders a real playoff contender? Now, they knocked off the aforementioned Eagles, beat them bad at Link. And when you're winning and beating a team in Lincoln Financial Field, you're doing something. It's a tough place to play, always has been. But have the commanders found their leader in Taylor Heineke? Carson Wentz, I don't think he's going to get off the bench. Now, I know you're not supposed to lose your job due to injury, but the team has played better under Taylor Heineke. And this team in the rugged NFC East, now, they, they remember, the commanders are still in last place, even though they're 6-5. and five. you got the Giants, you got the Pokes, you've got the, the aforementioned Eagles, all of them that they've got to climb over to get into any sort of playoff spot. I don't think they're catching the Eagles, to be honestly, but they can catch the Giants, who I don't think are going to be able to keep up this pace. The Cowboys may be asking a little bit much, but there are playoff spots to be garnered, and Washington, I think, is a legit playoff contender. Our third question in the Hoodwood Hot Five, are the Bengals the dark horse that no one wants to deal with? Now, remember, the Bengals are the defending AFC champions. But in this realistic world, that's going to about amount to a hill of beans. Many people see the Bengals run last year to the Super Bowl as a fluke, a big fluke. The team got hot at the right time. Joe Burrow played out of his mind. And the defense made some really good stops and some really good pickups to storm through the playoffs. I thought the Bengals were playing with house money after they beat the Raiders, to be honest with you, the wild card round. Are they a dark horse? Looking at their schedule down the stretch, who boy, you got the Titans, the Browns, a team that the, the, the Bengals cannot figure out. 
After that, you have the Chiefs. Hello. You also have the Patriots, the Buccaneers, the Bills, the Ravens. This isn't me picking names out of a hat. This is their schedule going down the stretch. This is there are no soft teams on the rest of their dock and the rest of their docket. You might say the Browns, but Joe Burrow has yet to beat the Browns in his career. Now the game is going to be at Paycor, so that might give them a break. That said, you still have the Chiefs coming to town. You still have to go to New England. You still have to go to Tampa. You still got Baltimore still coming to town. You still got the Bills coming to town. The Bengals will be lucky if they can split the rest of those games. Dark Horse, sorry folks, I don't believe it. Our fourth question, do the Bills have enough to get to and through the playoffs? Now, the Bills outslug the Browns in Detroit and right their ship after losing a couple of puzzling games to the Jets and the Vikings. Well, the Vikings game wasn't so much puzzling, but still it was a two-game losing streak. They've righted the ship and now face the Lions, a beatable team on Thanksgiving. After that, their schedule still is pretty tough. Do they have enough to win enough games to get to the playoffs? I think they can hold off the Patriots and the Dolphins and the Jets to make the playoffs and win the division. Playing home games in January in Buffalo are not, are not a fun task. Not at all. That being said, can they get to the playoffs? Yes. Can they get through the playoffs? No. The Bills have too many injuries on that defensive secondary, and they will lose some sort of shootout with Kansas City. They lost a shootout with Kansas City, and they were at full strength last year. What do you think that Patrick Mahomes is going to do to the Bills defense, a weakened Buffalo defense, if he gets a shot of at Arrowhead? It's going to be nasty. It's going to be really nasty. The Bills can get to the playoffs, but get through to their first Super Bowl in a quarter century? Uh-uh. Not going to happen. Our fifth question, the Hoodwood Hot Five, question 10 question, uh, questions after week 10. Are the Vikings in trouble? And, and I'll be honest. I didn't see a lick of the uh, Vikings-Cowboys game for two reasons. One, I was out with Princess Jazzy on Sunday. And two, they weren't showing the game in my area of the country. They were showing the Bengals-Steelers game. And I think it was a good thing that I didn't get to see that because I would probably be morose, comatose, catatonic. The way the Cowboys beat on the Vikings, beat on the Vikings like they stole something, 40 to 3. If that game had if that had happened at AT&T Stadium, I'd have said, you know what? Bad day at Blackrock. But the game happened at home at US Bank Stadium. When Michael Parsons stripped Kirk Cousins to get a sack strip. And it was like Kirk Cousins rolls out and he's standing there, patting the ball. Na, 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 na. And Michael Parsons is bearing down on him like a submarine missile, and everybody's going. He's behind you. And, and Kirk Cousins is just oblivious and pow. He gets hit, strip sack, fumble. The, the pokes get a uh, great field position. It was just downhill from there. 40 to 3. They couldn't run. They couldn't pass. They couldn't stop the run. Dak Prescott really didn't need to do that much. 
That said, the Vikings are 8-2. and two. They're going to win the NFC North. That's almost a foregone conclusion with the Bears, Packers, and Lions looking so much like the Three Stooges. But playoff time, you come to the playoffs with that step and, uh, step and fetch it, shuck and jive mess, you'll get blown out and quit and at home. Are the Vikings in trouble? Not so much trouble they will make the playoffs, but they're not getting deep in the playoffs. Uh-uh, no way. That's my hot five. What's yours? What? Wait, what, what? No, I'm not buying short ribs. Are you crazy? Short? Somebody get this dog. Our Fat Dap head slap of the week. We'll start out with Fat Dap. Fat Dap going to Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase, who at uh, this holiday season gives back to the community. He donated buying 200 turkeys at a local grocery store to be distributed to needy families in the greater Cincinnati area. Now, Chase has been on the injured reserve list for the last couple of weeks with a bum hip. But that didn't stop him from going out to a local grocery store and footing the bills for the holiday meat. And he had said, and I quote, that the city gave him a lot of love and now he's just trying to give a little of that love back to the city. Good on you, Jamar. You always love seeing athletes giving something back to the community. And, you know, they don't have to do it, but they do it out of the kindness of their heart, reminding them of the goodness and the kindness of the season that needs to be on at all fronts at all times. Our head slap of the week goes to my beloved alma mater, the University of Cincinnati. Now, why am I giving them a head slap? Because they took an opponent way too lightly. They played the, the Northern, I was going to say University of Northern Kentucky, but it's Northern Kentucky University School, just about eight miles away from the University of Cincinnati in neighboring Highland Heights, Kentucky. Now, uh, UC, when they were renovating Fifth Third Arena, were able to use Northern Kentucky's accommodations, the very fine, truest arena, for the 2017-18 season. Northern Kentucky's stipulation was, okay, but you have to play us down here twice, and we play you up in Cincinnati once. UC agreed to the deal, and they beat the North 78-65, couple seasons back but the Norris turned the tables on the Bearcats in Highland Heights beating them 64 to 51 and their fans gleefully stormed the court for their first ever win over the Bearcats and to think the Bearcats have to go to Truist Arena within the next couple of years to fulfill it to fulfill their contract head slap to the Bearcats for taking an opponent way too lightly and now the Bearcats are on a three-game losing streak because they went to Maui for the Maui Gym Classic and have beaten have been beaten by Arizona and Ohio State. It's dark times in my for my modern basketball. I can only hope they can right the ship. And now without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. I pose a question. Will there ever be color in baseball? 
at least the color that I remember. Now, I grew up watching and playing baseball. My mother taught me how to throw a baseball, and I am a left-handed thrower from mirroring her throwing actions. My mom took me to my first baseball game. I was all of a few days before my seventh birthday. It was a game that I still remember bits and pieces of, and I learned a lot more about the game and research going forward as I got older. The date was September 11th, 1979. The Houston Astros were taking on the Cincinnati Reds at Riverfront Stadium, and despite it being a Tuesday night after Labor Day, it was a big crowd. 40,574 came out, not only because the teams were neck and neck in a heated divisional pennant race, but the baseball's two of baseball's best pitchers were taking the mound that night. The Reds had Tom Seaver, who they got in a humongous trade just a couple seasons before, and had established himself as their staff ace. The Astros countered with J.R. Richards. 6-7 mountain of a man with a devastating fastball who's just coming into his own as a great pitcher. Funny thing was, it wasn't a pitcher's duel. The final score was 9-8. Uh, the thing I remember the most about that game was the players. Joe Morgan, spark plug second baseman, leader of uh, the Reds. George Foster, the lanky left fielder with a dangerous swing. Danny Dreesen manning first base for the Reds. Astros having their own players of color. Jeffrey Leonard. Enos Cabell and the aforementioned Richard. I point them out because these were plenty of players who had my complexion. African-American players and important roles on both sides of the ball. Now, I point this out again also to make the point that the World recently completed World Series was the first in over 70 years that did not, did not, have any African-American players on either side. Now, we do remember that Dusty Baker became the third manager of color in the World Series, and third manager of color to win a World Series, that is. But there were no players of color on either roster. Now, there were some Afro-Latino players on both teams, to be sure, but, but aside from Dusty Baker, there were no players of color on either roster. And I think that itself is sad. I grew up watching great players who looked like me on the field. I played Little League. Uh, tried to snag fly balls in as a scattergunned outfielder for the Northern Hills Corey League in my youth, and then swinging and missing at curveballs in high school. I played the game, and there were a number of players of color that I played with and played against. They played alongside me in high school and in Little League. But as I got into my 20s, and more so in my 30s and 40s, players of color started to dwindle, then diminish, then almost disappear in Major League Baseball. Right now, there are 7.2% of the playing population that is of African American. That percentage is topped by the number of players of color playing hockey in the U.S. Hockey. I made a commentary recently disparaging Charlie Kirk for his inane comments uh, about the getting the inner city about getting inner city youth. I should say, let me try that again. I made the commentary recently disparaging Charlie Kirk for his inane comments about diversity and initiatives in hockey. Though I am very aware of the programs to get inner city youth and particularly young players of color to play baseball, I see that the efforts are not gaining traction. You see more and more players 
that are being drawn to football and basketball. And the I heard a commentator once say there was one reason, one reason only that they're being drawn, money. Not so much the money being paid out to baseball players because an enormous sum of money is being paid out to pro athletes who have hit their free agency, but the money to get the bats, get the balls, get the equipment, and the money that football and baseball players can make quicker when they turn pro as opposed to the long drawn out process it takes for players to get to the major leagues and make the immense amount of money you're looking at a few years beating the bushes in the minors and then getting to and sticking in the major league baseball to the point where you can make the generationally changing wealth many young players of color are not willing to sit and wait for that. Will we ever see an entire lineup of players like what happened in 1971 when the Pirates fielded an all-black lineup? Though four of the players in that lineup happened to be Afro-Latino, it still got noticed. Will it ever happen again? I doubt it. I just want to see some black players on the teams here and there. I don't think that's asking too much. And that is the final word from the wood. Now with the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time in the hood wood is just about done for this week, or I should say this episode, and thank you so much for your visit. Now the show's email is kjgreen at sportsforthehoodwood.com. Please send me emails regarding show topics questions comments on the show as well as praise and criticism i welcome your correspondence and i'll try to get back to you as quickly as i can now the show's website is sportsfromthehoodwood.com you can check out the back catalog of shows it goes back as far back as 10 years we've been doing the show for 10 years can you believe that i also have other audio feeds as well as things that i run across try to post on there as often as possible the show like i said is also on youtube you get video podcasts on youtube link to the podcast on facebook and twitter as a new feed which is at hoodwood sports send me a tweet send it back just as quickly as possible audio version is also on spotify amazon music stitcher iMusic and other fine podcast platforms and providers if hoodwood is not on your favorite ask for it drop me a line and i'll do what i can do to see i'll see what i can do to get it there as quickly as possible. Special thanks to Rage Pictures for the continued production assistance with the show. And that's it for the Hoodwood, ladies and gentlemen. I will be back later in the week with the rest of the picks. More Hoodwood High Five, another Fat Dad Head Slap, and another Final Word from the Woods. So I'll see you later in the week. Until next time, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production.